abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That is the reading of God's word. Please go ahead and have your seat. Does it, has anybody tasted it? Does anyone want to say amen right now that God is good? Hey, maybe what's going on right now may not be good, but we need to lift our eyes up, get our eyeballs on the Bible again, and we need to remind ourselves that God, the Lord, he is good. That's what it says. And it says that you, this is, this is a letter written to Christian people, people who have been born again. You have a new life in Jesus. You were dead in your sin, but you have been made alive. And this is the second time he described us being born again here in 1 Peter. Go back to chapter 1, verse 3. Let's remember how this letter begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, God did a work to save us, to regenerate us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Anybody here a hope-to-mist? Anybody here ready to say hopes are high? Hopes are high. You know why? Because we've been born again. We've got a new life. And here it emphasizes the gospel. Hey, the good news. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He humbled himself to die on the cross for your sins and then he rose from the dead to give you a new eternal life. And because Jesus rose from the dead, you now have a new life. But in our passage, in chapter 1, verse 23, it says, since you have been born again, and it doesn't go back to the resurrection of Jesus, which gives us hope of heaven, which gives us faith through trials, which gives us an expectation of future grace that is going to be better than what we've known so far. All the things that encouraged us at the beginning of the book. No, this time it says you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Yeah, it's the work of Jesus. It's the gospel that he died for you, that he rose. But the way that you heard the good news preached to you was through the word. You responded by faith because you heard the word of Christ. God used the word to make you alive. That's what our passage is saying. And now that you're born again, there's something specific that you do as someone who has been made new in Jesus. Now, we already saw that when you've been born again, that puts you into a relationship with our Father in heaven. You're adopted as one of his sons or daughters. Through his son, Jesus Christ, through his blood, you now have a relationship with God. You're called to be holy as he is holy. Well, look what it says in verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls, that's talking about the cleansing, the work of the Spirit, by your obedience to the truth, your response to repent and believe in the gospel. Look what it says. You now have a sincere brotherly love. So when you are born again, 
It's not like you just get a relationship with God. You also get a relationship with all of God's people. Not only do you have a father in heaven, you have brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. And this is a real thing. It says this is a sincere, a genuine Philadelphia brotherly love. And so then here's the the command here. It says love one another earnestly from a pure heart. If you've been born again, if you are a Christian, and you're listening to this, you're hearing me talk to you today. I know we're separated, but we're online, and you're paying attention, and you're hearing this. Let me tell you, the reason God gave you a new life is so that you could love his people, sincerely, genuinely. Love one another. This is, this is one of the primary commands in all of Scripture, especially the church of Jesus, over and over and over again, love one another. And let's go to Leviticus 19, because I need everybody to go all the way back with me to the law where it, where it originally commands. This is Leviticus 19. You got a Bible? Go there with me. You might see something about loving others you've never seen before. Because when we went through the law, we saw these connections that Peter's drawing out. We found them actually in Leviticus, which was maybe the most ignored book and became some people's favorite book. Because not only did we learn about the holiness of God, we learned here, Leviticus 19, 18 is the original, love your neighbor as yourself. And later on in that chapter, it says this. Everybody should know this verse. I don't know why this verse isn't taught to every kid growing up in the church. It says here in Leviticus 19, verse 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him, the stranger, you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hey, so the basic idea of love is this. If there's someone who comes from the outside, someone who's a stranger, they're a sojourner from a faraway place, from another land, when they're here among you, you don't love them like they're a stranger or a sojourner. You love them like they're a native, like they're one of you. You love them as you would love yourself. I mean, right there, that explains so much. The Jews were never supposed to be a racist people. The Jews were never supposed to act like they were superior to other people because they were God's people. They were supposed to look at other people and treat them like they were one of the Jews. I mean, this is foundational to all human relationships. And it goes back to, you got to remember, if you're going to love other people, you got to remember what has God done for you. He's made you born again. Here specifically, you were slaves in Egypt. Remember Father Abraham, the sojourner? All he had was a promise. He didn't have a son. He didn't have a nation. He didn't have a land. He was just traveling around, and it was all by faith. He didn't have any of it until he had his son, but he didn't get the land. He didn't get the nation. He didn't get to see that. See, you started out as a sojourner, and then you ended up slaves in Egypt, and that's where God came. And he saved you, delivered you, rescued you. Hey, remember what God has done for you. Now go love other people. This is Leviticus teaching this. I mean, how clear is that? 
How helpful is that word right now for the United States of America today? Hey, you see somebody who might seem strange to you, they seem different to you, they seem like they're from somewhere else besides where you came from, guess how you should treat them? Like they're one of you. That's how you should treat everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. This has always been God's teaching to his people. Now go to John 13 and you'll see how Jesus made this a new commandment. He took this command that was from the old covenant between God and Israel and he made it a new commandment through the covenant of his blood between Jesus and us here in the church. John 13, 34. When he's teaching his disciples at the Last Supper on the night before he died, he's washing their feet. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to know and he wants us to do with our brothers and sisters. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, that's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. What's new about it? Right here. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How has Jesus loved you? How has he humbled himself to put himself on your level? How has he taken your sin upon himself when he died on the cross? He laid down his life. He gave himself away. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for your soul. Do you know the love of Jesus? Now go love other people. It's new commandment because it's fresh because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know the gospel that Jesus loves you to save you, you are fully equipped now to love other people. That's the expectation of every Christian person, that you would love your brothers and sisters. Now go back to 1 Peter, though, because he doesn't just say love one another. No, even though these people are scattered and tested and they're suffering and they have to submit to some harsh authorities, even though they're going through so much, one of the main appeals of Peter in this letter is that they would love one one another in fact look at how he says it here in verse 22 when he commands it he says love one another earnestly from a pure heart has God given you a new heart as he put his spirit within you then you should love one another here's how earnestly okay the Greek word here is ektenos which means earnestly or fervently, okay? So we're talking about, this isn't just like love one another, mild version. This is love one another, spicy version, caliente, somewhere north of Pico. That's where we're going here, everybody. Like we're supposed to love one another with a passion. Ectenos, let me tell you a couple other times this verse is, this word, this Greek word is used. Here's references you could write down, Acts 12, 5. Acts 12, 5, Peter, the writer of the letter we're studying, he's in prison, and Herod has just martyred James. He just killed James. One of the three closest disciples to Jesus has just been killed, and now Peter's in prison, and it looks like Herod might kill him to please the Jews, and so there's a prayer meeting going down. Maybe you remember, it's at the house where Rhoda was at, and the people are praying that God is going to do something amazing and get Peter out of that prison before they put him to death. Imagine if somebody you loved 
somebody from this church was in prison and you thought they were going to be put to death and there was a prayer meeting going and you're gathering around to pray that they won't die, that God will rescue them. How would you pray for someone's life to be spared? That's our word. In fact, those people... They pray in such a way that God sends an angel with a get-out-of-jail-free card who releases Peter out of that prison, and he ends up showing up at the prayer meeting. Now, that was a good night of prayer right there. You're praying, Lord, please, please, Lord, let Peter out of prison. Peter ends up knocking on the door and showing up at the prayer meeting. They were praying fervently, earnestly, with a passion. Point number one, we got to get it down like this. Get passionate about God's people. That's point number one. I'm not just asking, do you love people? And you're thinking, yeah, maybe I kind of do. No, like is there a fervent, earnest passion for the people of God, for your brothers and sisters? That's what it's saying. We, there needs to be a strong feeling here that leads to an, an action, a pouring of yourself out. Here's another reference you should put down for ectenos by point number one. You should put down Luke 22, 44. Luke 22, 44. This is Jesus, okay, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's feeling now all of the weight of what he's about to do. He is about to drink the cup of God's wrath for all of our sin. And you know that Jesus was lying down on the ground. He was sweating like great drops of blood. You could feel like an olive being squeezed, being pressed. They're in this garden of olive trees. Jesus is feeling the pressure of how he's going to take our sin upon himself and take the judgment that we deserve. And he prays fervently. Father, if there's another way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's the ultimate example of submission right there. Jesus committing himself to the Father's will and just pouring himself out passionately to God right before he's about to pay for your sin. This is how we're called to love one another. Are we loving one another with passion, with fervent, earnest Love. That's the command here. So it's not just the same old command to love one another. That would be enough if we were just studying that. But Peter here, he puts this descriptive word, this way that we're supposed to love one another. Like we're really putting our, we're not going through the motions of reaching out to our bros and our sisters. How you doing? You doing okay? No, we're like pouring ourselves out for them. Now, if you're back with me here in 1 Peter, go back to 1 Peter if you're not there and look at, look at chapter 2, verse 1, because here's what's going to happen, all right? If you try to really love people in the church, if you try to really give yourself, if you really d stop living for yourself and you invest yourself in other people, people are going to hurt you. This is what, how it's going to work out in our fallen world, even in the church of Jesus Christ. You're going to get hurt. Someone might even sin against you. You might invest a lot of your life into somebody and then they might decide they don't really want to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus along with you. And you might feel just heartbroken about this person that you have loved who falls away. Or even you might get stabbed in the back by somebody. You might have somebody you respect who ends up falling into sin. There are so many people who've been going to church and they've been hurt in so many different ways. 
See, it's not going to be easy to love one another fervently. And so that's why he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says that you got to put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. See, at some point, somebody in the church, in the group of people, your brothers and sisters, that you're called to love with a passion, one of them is going to do something that you don't like. And your temptation might be to respond to them in a certain kind of way. And he's saying, we got to put all of those evil responses away. You can't say something evil to or about one of your brothers and sisters. We can't go before our Father in heaven like siblings growing up and say, well, they made me do it. Well, it's their fault. Well, they started it. No, if we're going to love one another passionately, we got to put all of that away. Look what it says. Malice here is just the idea of saying something evil. Deceit and hypocrisy would mean I'm being fake. I'm putting on impression that's not the real thing. I may be telling people at church the right answer rather than the real answer. I'm not being open. I'm not being vulnerable. And then there's envy. I'm like comparing myself to other people, judging myself by other people. Then there's slander. I'm talking bad about somebody behind their back. I'm saying things to try to bring somebody else in the church down. Rather than lifting them up with encouraging words, I'm actually saying something bad to them or about them. It says, hey, if we're going to love one another fervently, then all of those wrong responses that siblings want to have to one another, we got to put them all away. Like that doesn't belong with this passionate love. Go over just a couple of pages to James chapter 1. Look at James 1, 18 and see how he is saying a very similar flow of thinking here. There's a lot of similarities between Peter and James, their letters. And in James 1, 18, he says, Of his own will, referring to God, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Same exact premise as our text. You've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. God made you alive through his his word and that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God therefore here's the same exact idea you got to put away all of that filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Okay, so it says, hey, there's going to be this temptation. There's going to be this way that you could respond where instead of being quick to hear, instead of taking in God's word, you want to respond to other, perhaps even believers, you want to respond being quick to say what you want to say. You want to respond with anger. You want to try to make things right in a retaliatory way. Somebody does something evil, you want to try to make it right maybe through what you're going to say. You've got to put away all of that filthiness and wickedness is what he's saying. There's going to be a response to people that every single one of us is going to have to put away as a wrong response that doesn't have to do with loving one another fervently. Every one of us. There will come a moment where if you're... If, now see, some people, they just don't even want to love other people because it gets troublesome. It gets messy. It can get contentious. Some people have been hurt. 
They've been burned, and so now they're kind of keeping distance. Now they want to withdraw a little bit, because if I really pour myself out, if I really get in there and love people with passion, it's going to hurt. That's true, but here's what. Put away that wrong response. Put it all away. Go over to Colossians chapter 3, just a few pages over. You'll see that this is something we're all expected to do as those who have been born again by God to love one another as brothers and sisters. We all have to put away our wrong responses to one another. Here it says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 here it says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And and then it goes on to say, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. As Christians, we are called to a higher standard. There is something that sets us apart from the rest of the world. When, When evil is done to people, the natural reaction is to respond to evil with Evil. Somebody says something bad about you, you want to say something bad about them. You know what we do as people who've been born again? We put all of that away. We don't respond like that. We don't come back angry at people. We don't lie to people. Be fake with people. We've put that off. That's the old self. We've been born again to something better than treating other people the way that they treat us. We're going to now treat them with the love of Jesus Christ. So it says here, look at, look at verse 10. You have put on the new self. Okay, this is what it really means to be in Christ. You have this new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Your relationship with God now. You're growing into his likeness. Like James said, you're one of the first fruits of his creatures okay god has done a work to make you alive you're now living like god in a relationship with him as one of his sons or daughters here that's what you're putting on and here among god's people among the brothers and sisters in god's family here there is not greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave free no there's none of those earthly distinctions but christ is all and in all if you are a new creation in christ you should therefore regard no one according to the flesh Now, we have had a very rough week here in the United States of America. We would like to think, I've heard it said, that our nation is going to be the melting pot of all the nations. Have you heard that said about the United States of America? Well, that has always been our cardinal sin. That has always been our crimson stain. The issue of racism in America, this has been a problem now for hundreds of years. It was wrong when we brought Africans to America as slaves. It was wrong when we segregated African Americans apart from everyone else. And it is wrong to this day when an African American man is treated unjustly. And the only thing to say to that is, amen. That's been a sin in this country. It's been a massive problem among this people. And I didn't have to change anything about this sermon to say that you and I, we should never see anybody as Greek or Jew. We should never be looking at people 
Like, are they circumcised or uncircumcised? Are they slave or are they free? Are they barbarian, Scythian? We should never be categorizing people as anything but souls who need to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from anybody on this right now? I mean, here it is right here. See, this is what America wants. This is like the American dream that people from all over could come together and not treat each other like strangers and sojourners, but treat each other like natives, like we could really be one nation. And here's the thing, the dream that America wants, but has had such a hard time with, we can actually experience that in the church. Here, we can actually love brothers and sisters, not considering where they come from or who they were, but it can be all of us in Christ and Christ is all to us. That's so exciting that we can genuinely love one another. This is what America dreams it would have, what the church can actually experience. Our culture's desire for multicultural diversity will be realized probably not here in this life on this earth, but it will come to pass and we will see it with our eyes when people of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue shout out with one voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Heaven is going to have people from all over the planet, all different colors, all different economical status, all together as one in Christ, loving one another. That's what we're able to do. That's what we're able to put on. Look at this, Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Look at the community that we can have as Christian people when we love one another. Here's what we can put on then. As God's chosen ones, as his holy and beloved, we can put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Hey, somebody rubs you the wrong way, bear with one another. Somebody outright sins against you, well, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, here we go, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony, it is beautiful to see a diversity of people coming together in harmony because they all have Christ in common. That's the church. That's what we can be. That's what we've been born again to be. And praise the Lord, that's what I have seen us be here at Compass HB. I have seen this group of people come together and love one another like brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who we are, and it's awesome. I just gotta tell you, I have been so loved by the people here at this church. I am so encouraged. There are so many people here that I could refer to as my brother or sister. They have my back. If I were to fall, they would come. They would pick me up. It is a blessing to be loved by God's people, and it is a privilege to be able to love other people. In the name of Jesus, we have been called to be brothers and sisters. And that means there will come moments where we want to respond to one another like the world does in an evil way. And we've got to put that away. Now, we have a chance, a, a very 
unique opportunity has presented itself for our church to grow in our love for one another through this coronavirus crisis. So we're at a time right now where we have not been able to gather together and assemble in the way that we are accustomed to, in the way that we love to do. And this coronavirus has really has really impacted us, every one of us. It's impacted us as a church. It's impacted us individually. And there are different responses that people are having to the coronavirus crisis. And it's kind of presented now, in our lifetime, a Romans 14 and 15 uh, situation. Will you turn there with me to Romans chapter 14 and 15? Because this talks about, we, sometimes people call it like the gray areas issue. It, it talks about here, there's going to be strong brothers and there's going to be weak brothers. Strong sisters and weak sisters is what it says. And here it gives a couple of scenarios where people in the church, people who are all born again, all loved by Jesus, all called to love one another, but now they have different thoughts about something, what they should do about it. And in here you can see one example in in Romans 14, verse 2, is one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person, so it describes people here, everybody's a believer in Christ, but some of the brothers come across very strong, while others are weak about these particular issues. It says one of the things was, can we eat meat, or should we only eat vegetables? There was clearly a, a difference of opinion among the people in the church. Now, there's a lot that you could read about, well, what is the issue here? Is it like meat being sacrificed to idols? That's something we read about in the Scripture. So it's like, I can't eat that because it's been offered in idolatry? Or is it actually some of the Jewish people continuing the, the ideas of cleanliness in their eating, the ideas of eating kosher? And some people are like, well, we need to keep doing that, but maybe since the meat isn't really prepared properly, we can only eat vegetables. And we're not clear exactly what the uh, current situation was, but what is clear is that some people had a strong view that we can eat the meat, and some people had perhaps a weaker view here. They eat only vegetables. Look, there's another example here in verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Some people, perhaps they're uh, celebrating the feast days, so perhaps it's about the Sabbath day. Maybe it's about some kind of pagan holidays going on. But some people are like, let's celebrate that day. Other people are like, I think all days are the same before the Lord. There's differences of opinion. We have. Right now, here at this church, we have differences of opinion about the coronavirus crisis. we got to make that very clear. And we don't just have uh, differences of opinion. This is universal about the church all over the world. There is a strong and a weak position. And there are many people at our church who have a strong opinion about the coronavirus crisis. And their opinion is that we should get back to church. We should get back to gathering. Yes, there is a real thing, COVID-19, going around. But I think perhaps it's been overblown. I'm not sure if we needed to respond like this. And I'm ready to start assembling. I'm ready. And, and there's different phrases I hear people using, getting back to normal, getting, getting back to church. I don't know if we're going to be able to get back to anything. They're ready to move forward, perhaps to whatever's next. And they're very strong about it. 
They're not really concerned. They're more carefree about getting coronavirus. Was there are other people. There are blessed brothers and sisters, and this is a completely legitimate opinion that people have here at this church where they're very concerned about the spread of COVID-19 happening in this congregation. If we were to assemble together, as we're accustomed to doing here in this building, there are people who have said to me, and these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they have said, hey, I love you, I love our church, nothing about you or anybody else, but when we open up and we start assembling, I'm not going to be there for the first few weeks. I have heard that from many people in this church. I have heard people, when you ask more questions, what concerns you, what makes you hesitant about assembling with the believers. I have heard people say that they actually don't know at this present moment if they will ever be able to come to church again because they don't think the other people at our church will actually practice social distancing and will respect their space. And so they don't know if they're ever coming back to our church again. There are dear brothers and sisters here among us who think this and are saying this. Now, maybe you haven't talked to them. Maybe you haven't heard that firsthand. I'm here to tell you today, this idea, a strong opinion and a weak opinion, we are now in one of these situations described in Romans 14 and 15. It's happening, and this isn't just Compass HB. Okay, this is across, not even America, not even California. This is across the world. I need everybody to understand this, that when churches have opened up, 100% of the people of the church have not felt comfortable immediately going back. We've already talked about a church in, in Idaho that had 40% of their people show up originally. How we just My dad's church just opened in Texas last Sunday. The first time they were able to assemble together, they had 50% of their church show up in Texas. I just read a story about a church in Africa in Zambia that was able to open up there for the first time on Sunday today and and they had a picture of their building there in Zambia and how it used to be full of worshipers where they were only permitted there in Zambia for 114 people 140 excuse me people which seems like it was a smaller number than what they were used to they were ready for 140 they had a permit 140 could assemble 70 people showed up This is what's happening in churches all over the world. People are hesitant to come back. So we have people, you're ready right now. We had somebody come here today, standing at the door, let me in, I'm ready to do church. You're ready. Other people, maybe you're concerned. We have have different thoughts here among us. How are we going to love one another passionately when we have people with strong, different opinions? Look what it says, Romans 14, verse 1. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. First thing, okay, we want to welcome those who are weak. Those who are concerned, we want to set it up to welcome them here among us. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to lose one person 
from this church? Do you want to lose them over the coronavirus crisis? Do you want anybody who is a part of this church family to stop coming because of this disease, this worldwide pandemic? I hope the answer to that is a resounding, may it never be. I want all the brothers and sisters to assemble. Well, then it says we got to treat, we got to welcome the weak people, and our goal cannot be to try to convince them to change their mind about coronavirus crisis. That's what it says here. Don't go quarreling over opinions. The way we're going to solve this different, strong, and weak way of thinking is not by debating or arguing and trying to get people to think like us. That's not what Romans 14 and 15 say to do. In fact, go down to Romans 14, 13. Look what it says here. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Here's what we got to say right away, is if you've got the strong view and you're ready to reassemble, let's not be judging those who are concerned. And if you're concerned and you're hesitant about coming back, let's not be judging those who are ready to assemble. Let's not, let's not look down on one another here. That's not what we're here to do. When we're here to love one another, we can't be looking down on other people in our own family. No, go to chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what he has to say. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Would you consider yourself having a strong position on the coronavirus crisis? Are you ready to reassemble? Well, here's what you are now commanded to do. You gotta bear with the weak and you gotta try to be concerned for the concerned, to please them just as Christ pleased us. Don't make it about you and your opinion. Make it about winning everybody, especially the weak, especially those who are concerned. For someone here at this church to think, I don't know if I can go to that church because I don't know if they will treat me with social distancing. If they'll practice social distancing there among each other, that should make all of us who have a strong position think I'm ready to bear with the weak and I will show you some social distancing. That's what we should think. Now, I got to tell you, I personally have a very hard time with social distancing. I've been living my life in the church of Jesus for 40 years, and the way I've loved people, the way I've been taught to love people, uh, the way that I've uh, loved loving people here at this church is we go straight forward with the right hand of fellowship. And we, and we reach out, and we literally physically reach out and grab people, and we pull them in. Like Barnabas did to Saul back in Acts in Jerusalem, we just pull people in, we put our arm around them, we take them around, we introduce them to all our friends. There are people here, we go up, we hug one another, we greet one another in the name of Jesus, we welcome one another to church. And now, all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, maybe the first time in your life, loving people actually looks like respecting their distance. I mean, this is hard for me. Even now, when I see people, I'm tempted to want to go towards them, and that's what I've always been doing. That's just the way that I've always thought. And now I'm having to think differently. Now I'm having to bear with people. And now I'm saying, hey, I love you, but I'm going to keep my distance. Are we all ready 
to bear with those who are weak so that we might, look what it says here, here's the goal. This is his prayer for them after this long discussion. You can read all of Romans 14, and then we get into Romans 15. Here's what he prays for them. May the God of endurance and encouragement, that's what we need from God right now, endurance and encouragement. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together the strong and the weak, the carefree and the concerned, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See, this is what's beautiful is when people at church who think differently prefer one another's opinions and welcome one another. And isn't that going to be awesome if we could gather together in a respectful, socially distant way, the carefree and the concerned all together with one voice, not thinking about coronavirus, but thinking about Jesus Christ and lifting his name high. The only way we're going to get everybody back together is we're all going to have to learn how to welcome one another and think about it from someone else's perspective. Are you ready to love one another in that way? Let me just tell you, when, when I think about this church loving one another and the challenge that is presented to us in this coronavirus crisis, I get excited because I believe that we have been born again. And the reason, one of the reasons God made us alive in Christ is that we would love one another. And I believe that we will love one another through coronavirus crisis. Anybody with me on that? Anybody encouraged about that? I believe that people at this church will actually prefer other people as more important than themselves and really put these principles here. I believe we have some strong brothers and sisters, and I believe that they will bear with those who are weak and respect them, and they'll want everybody to be here. And you know why I believe that we're going to love one another in the future? Because that's what I've seen people do here for the last five and a half years. I have seen God take people who... who uh, before 2014, before maybe when you came to our church, you didn't know these people. And now we would say, we would, we, faces come to mind. People here at this church, when I think of them, I think, that's my brother, that's my sister. You know, a lot of people, they say to me, hey, doesn't your brother work there at that church with you? And you know what I say to them? I have many brothers who work at this church with me. See, I've seen God join, join us together as brothers and sisters in love. And maybe we need to be reminded right now of what it looks like when we come together, when we worship, when we gather together for a meal. Maybe you need to be reminded right now of what it's like when we gather and we sing with one voice to glorify God. So we made, and people were crying as they put this together, we edited here a music video of a song that was sung here, a worship song at our church. This is what it looks like when we love one another.
HB, and I am confident that God has done a work in us so we can love one another. We can, even when people respond to us in a wrong way, even when people have different opinions than us, I am 100% confident that God will continue his good work here in this church, and we will love one another through this coronavirus crisis. Can I get an amen from anybody on this? Are you encouraged? Let's love one another passionately. But there is more. There is so much more. Go back to 1 Peter and look with me here. Because not only is it saying you've been born again to love one another and put away all of that evil response to one another, but it's saying you've been born again by the Word. Let's talk about the Word. Let's talk about why we are Compass Bible Church. Let's talk about why you come to this church. Maybe you come here because you love the other people here in this church. Maybe the reason you're here is because of the other people. But I know another thing that brings a lot of people here to this church is the Word of God here among us. This is what has saved people here at this church. This is what has sanctified people here among us. This is what people rejoice in when they hear the truth proclaimed and they get to know who God is and it has a profound impact to change their life because it's actually God's spirit causing them to obey through the word that he inspired. A lot of people love this particular local church because it is Compass Bible Church. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for something that doesn't change with the times. 
something that always has a response to the latest current event, something that we can actually count on in this world. And it says here that we've been born again by the living and abiding Word of God. And all flesh, everything in this life, it's like grass, it's like a flower, it's going to fade, it's going to fall, it's here today, gone tomorrow, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. It's alive. It cuts straight to your soul, and it's eternal outside of space and time. See here, this is now the second real passage that Peter quotes extensively. We saw that he quoted Leviticus in the law, and now he's quoting the prophet Isaiah about the word. And this is from Isaiah 40. What an encouraging chapter. If you know anything about the book of Isaiah, and I don't know if you've ever read through it, but chapter 39 is devastating. The prophecy that Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to take the young, noble men of Judah, and they're going to make them eunuchs in Babylon. That's the prophecy. But there is still comfort for those who seek God. In fact, there is comfort because the word of God is going to go past the latest judgment, past the latest crisis. No, the word of God remains forever. And that's why you should get up on a high mountain, oh, oh Zion. You should get up over there and start running with the good news, oh, oh uh, Jerusalem. And you should tell everybody, behold your God. That's what it says. We actually have, even in the bad news of judgment, we have good news of salvation, which is ultimately a reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to see God really speaking to us through his word, through his image, through his son, Jesus Christ. And it says here, that's the good news that was preached to you. See, the reason you're a part of the church, maybe even the reason specifically you come to this church, is you heard the word. That's why you're here. Maybe you actually heard the word and you even got saved. That's the implication here. But look what it goes on to say now in chapter 2, verse 2. It says, like newborn infants, like babies, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is what we all have in common. This is what unites us together, that every single one of us has tasted that God is good. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Do you have the good taste of the goodness of God? Have you experienced it through the word? Like something you could eat up or drink up, something that actually gets inside of you and the taste of it is good. You have come to know how good God is through his word being revealed to you. See, maybe it's happened in the sermon. Maybe you were actually here in this room one day and someone was up here preaching the word of God. And when you heard the word of God, it actually had this profound impact upon you. It opened your eyes to see the glory of the goodness of God. And you had this taste of the word and it was good. Maybe it happened in a fellowship group or a one-on-one meeting with a brother or sister here at this church. And they said something, maybe it was kind of a rebuke that they gave to you or they were kind of telling you the truth but speaking it in love. 
Maybe it was just something they said that showed how much they cared about you and that they really loved you. And when you heard your brother or sister speak from God's word and say that true thing, it stirred up something within you and you tasted it and it was good to hear your brother or sister say that. Maybe it happened when you were by yourself and you were reading the Bible and you were digging for treasure and you're praying for a revival and you want it to start in your heart. You're asking, God, stir me up. And you're reading the book and all of a sudden it's like it's like time stops ticking and the world stops spinning and it's just you and God there in the secret place of his word and prayer. And you're aware that God is good. Have you tasted it? That's why we're all here together, is we've tasted of the Word of God, and we know that He is good. That's how we were made alive. That's how we grow up in our sanctification. Literally, look how how specific He's getting. Go back to verse 23, where it says that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. I mean, He's using... Or what we understand about physical life to now explain our spiritual life. You were conceived, but the seed that conceived you spiritually isn't perishable, it's imperishable. And now that you've been made alive, you're like a baby, and a baby wants to keep growing, wants to keep drinking that pure milk that gives so much health and growth. So you're acknowledging, I heard the word and that's what saved me. And if I want to keep living out my eternal life, if I want to keep growing in a relationship with God, if I want to experience the fullness of my salvation, then I need today what it was that saved me on that day. I need to long for the word of God because I have tasted and it is good. Now, if you're a a new parent... If you have, it says here, a newborn infant, a baby, anybody with a baby at their house right now, does that baby want the milk? And all the new parents who are having a hard time sleeping at night said, Amen, Pastor Preach. If you've ever had a newborn infant, you have experienced their passion, their strong desire, their craving for the milk that's the analogy that is given for us as christians here in this passage now i need to just make it very clear let's talk about hebrews chapter 5 for a minute because in hebrews chapter 5 the believers are rebuked because they've been hearing the word for so long they should be able to teach it to others and through the constant practice in the word they should be able to discern what is good and true and what is false and evil and they should be so much more mature than they were in the word and so he says you ought to be teachers by now but you can't even handle solid food you can't even eat the meat so we need to bring you back down to the bottle and give you milk and in hebrews 5 this analogy of milk is used in a detrimental way like you're so immature you still need milk that's not the analogy here this is all positive okay we know how it works babies love the milk and they grow up in their new life through that milk. We should all love to drink the pure milk of God's word. And as we drink up the scripture, we will grow up in our salvation and it will taste so good. 
So we should desire, point number two, if you're taking notes, if you want to write this down, and I wish you would, we should desire revival from the Bible. This is what saved us. This is what's going to sanctify us. If you want to get stirred up in your soul today, it's going to happen from you drinking as much milk as you can. It takes me back to the college days. I don't know what wild and crazy... uh, things you were doing when you were in college. I was, I was not doing stuff that was that wild and crazy going to Bible college, Christian college. You know what counted like a wild and crazy Friday night in the dorms? Uh, maybe the milk chug challenge. You ever done the milk chug challenge before? Milk chug challenge is basically a bunch of fools drinking a gallon of milk. They got the gallon. They come walking in the hallway of the dorm. I'm going to do the chug challenge tonight. And everybody's like, oh, bro, you're so cool, right? Basically, what the milk chug challenge means is you're going to drink as much of that gallon of milk as you can, and then later on that night, you're going to toss your cookies. That's what the milk chug challenge is all about. And everybody likes to stand around and watch. Okay, well, I am now, right now, here today, introducing the milk chug challenge to our church, and I guarantee you, if you drink this week as much milk, pure spiritual milk, as you possibly can, you will not toss your cookies at the end of it. You will grow up and it will taste good is what will happen. And so what you got to see here, when he says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, see, even Peter, when he's writing the letter, is showing us that the Scripture is working in him, that the Spirit is filling him. He's already quoted Leviticus from the law. Then he quoted Isaiah from the prophets. And this right here, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, that's a reference to the writings, to Psalm 34.8, which he is going to go on. If you look over at chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12, he explicitly quotes Psalm 34. And so Peter has a lot of scripture on his mind, filling up his heart. Maybe that's why he even wrote this letter. Because he was tasting it and it was good. Psalm 34. You've got to turn there with me, everybody. Psalm 34. You've got to see this direct reference. This is a psalm that David wrote. David is the main guy we think of writing the psalms. But there are so many other offers, uh, authors. There are so many amazing psalms. Longest book in the Bible. 150 chapters expressing the full range of human emotion. Literally every kind of thing you could be going through is represented here in these chapters and how to turn where you're at to worship of God in your relationship with Him. And he says here in Psalm 34, verse 8, everybody look at it with me. Psalm 34, verse 8, this is the word that you need to hear today to encourage your soul, to give you a revival. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, happy is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, taste and see, God is good. And you can't just say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, heard that one before. you got to put the O oh back in your relationship with God. 
I love how in the Psalms, in the English translations, the word oh shows up so much because it expresses that passion. It expresses that desire, that craving that the baby has for the milk. See, that's what David's expressing here. Oh, I got to tell you, you should taste this. Do you remember back in the day when there were samples at Costco? Does anybody remember the good old days right now? Free samples? You're just walking down the aisle and somebody wants to hand hand you a delicious morsel of pure delight. Have you ever had that experience before? They're just off. And when you taste something, I think this is universal. Now, we might disagree on what tastes good to us. We might like, we might like different kinds of food. There might be a wide variety of what we're going to have for lunch represented at Compass HB. But I think what could be universal in our human experience is when you eat something, and you like how it tastes, it's hitting your taste buds the right way, you're like, wow, that's good. What's a natural response we all have to that? You should try this. You should eat this. We even sometimes do that with stuff that's disgusting and tastes terrible. Oh, that was hideous. You should try some of that. That is so gross, right? We, we want everybody to share the taste with us. That's what David's saying here. I've tasted and I've seen and God is so good and now it's just overflowing out of his heart. Oh, you should taste it. You should see and you will discover how good God is. That's what he's saying. And I wonder if we need to bring the O back here at Compass Bible Church as we haven't been able to gather together for a while, as we've been going through a trial, as we're having a brutal week here in America, maybe this is the perfect moment for this church to get back to our theme song that we need to taste and see that God is good. And you will be blessed. You will be happy. I mean, these might be dark days. You might feel isolated. You might feel like the world is becoming a darker and more dangerous place. There is a place that you can find refuge, a safety for your soul, where you can find joy and hope in the darkest of times. Blessed is the one who finds refuge, tasting and seeing that God is good. Look at how this psalm starts. Look at the invitation for everyone to participate here. Look at what David's saying. Here's what I'm going to do. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm going to keep talking about how good God is at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul who I really am on the inside my soul is going to make its boast in the Lord I'm going to stop talking about me and I'm going to talk about Yahweh I'm going to talk about his goodness in my life let the humble hear and be glad oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together oh brothers and sisters of Compass HB, we may be discouraged, we may be scattered, but we can still exalt the name of our God. Oh, will you magnify him with me? That's what he's saying. He's saying, have you forgot what it tastes like? Now, I hate to do this at this part of the sermon, but I am going to bring up Lord of the Rings right now, everybody. Lord of the Rings, the epic fantasy story. That's what it is. And if you are not into dwarves and elves and men and hobbits, I completely understand, no problem. But let me just tell you, it's awesome. It's nine hours of the most epic filmmaking you could possibly experience. Or if you prefer, over 1,000 pages written by a Christian man with rich 
biblical symbolism, but that's enough of the commercial. The point is, there's a guy named Frodo. Anybody ever heard of Frodo before? Frodo, the ring bearer, the guy who has this thing that represents sin and everything evil, and he's a little guy, and he's got to go across this whole big wide world to a mountain of fire where the enemy base is, and he's got to go throw the ring into the mountain of fire to save the world so there can be good and happiness and, and, and that we can all have a happy ending. That's his Frodo, and the ring torments him. The ring causes him such trouble, and, and Frodo would have never made it all the way to the end if he didn't have a friend. And what's the name of Frodo's friend, everybody? What's the name of his friend? Samwise, that's his name. Samwise the Brave. Samwise Gamgee. Say his name, treat it with respect, right? Because even, there's a point in the story where Frodo even turns on his own friend Sam and even speaks evil at him and even thinks he stabbed him in the back but Sam never turns his back on Frodo. He is there with him to the end. And if you watch through all eight and a half hours of movie and you end up, I mean, on the mountain of fire right before they're about to go fight this guy, Gollum, and they're about to throw the ring. But will Frodo throw the ring because he's so tormented now? Does he want the ring or will he throw the ring? And here's Sam, his friend to the end, holding Frodo in his arms, trying to help him, saying, hey, I'll carry you. We're going to get through this together. We're going to make it to the end. And Frodo says something that I, I have never forgotten. Frodo says, I can't recall the taste of food. Now, I was watching this whole movie, and I was, I was not really that affected when they were fighting the CGI orcs. Like, I was, I was tracking with that. This giant spider came out, and they were fighting the spider. That got to me a little bit, but I was okay. Now they're going through a land that's just like fire and lava, and they're going to, like, throw this ring in this big mountain. I don't see how they're going to make it up there. But when Frodo said, I can't recall the taste of food, I felt that. That connected. I was like, whoa, he is low. I have never been down that low before. Frodo, you have forgotten what food tastes like. You are going through it, man. And I just got to remind my brothers and sisters of Compass HB today that you have tasted and God is good. Let's not lose perspective. In fact, the same word that saved us is there for us right now today. And let me say, brothers and sisters, oh, let us exalt his name together. And so our milk chug challenge here at Compass HB is I'm saying our whole church, let's go read the book of Psalms. Let's go read as much Psalms this week as we can. Let's drink up as much pure spiritual milk all about our relationship with God and how good he is and let it revive us in our souls. Okay, so th this is really what I'm saying, all right? This, I'm coming in and I'm bringing in a gallon of milk and I'm walking down the hall of the dorm right now and I'm saying, who wants to drink the whole thing with me? I'm saying, what if you tried to read the entire book of Psalms in one week? What would that be like? And maybe you're like, well, that's, uh, that's a lot. 150 chapters, are you kidding me right now? Well, let me ask you this then. How many Psalms could you read in one week? Have you ever, have you ever tried it? What's the limit? What's the max? How much could you possibly do? 
That's the goal. We want to read as many psalms. If Peter is reminded of the good taste, and he's referring to Psalm 34, and that's on his heart, well, let's get the Word of God in the psalms on our heart. These passages, you can just turn to any one of them. You don't have to read them in order. They're all about our relationship with God. They will all give us some of his attributes, some of his character, remind us of who he is. Many of these psalms will explicitly speak of the goodness of God, his steadfast love, his faithfulness. God is not just good. He is great at being good. It's going to say it over and over again. So not just how many psalms can you read in one week, but let's get into it and let's really taste it. Let's chew it up. Let's read and read and read, and then we find something. And when you find something and you're like, wow, that right there, that's it. That is good. That is who God is. And that, that moment comes where the, the time stops ticking and the world stops spinning, and it's just you and God. See, we might have encouraged earlier in this sermon, we might have encouraged us as we consider one another to practice social distancing, but I'm not encouraging anybody to practice spiritual distancing. Your goal should be to get as close to God as you possibly can, to draw near to him with a true heart, with full assurance of faith. What if this week, in the midst of everything evil going on in the world, was the best week that you've ever had in your relationship with God? And see, if you find something in the Psalms, and I guarantee you, if you read the Psalms, you will find something. Like we're here in Psalm 34. Go back to verse 8 with me. Pick it up where we left off. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Can I get an amen from anybody? I will tell you right now that it doesn't matter if you're isolated. It doesn't matter if you're going through the hardest trial of your life. If you are seeking God with all of your heart, if you are seeking God like you want to find Him, I promise you this, according to the words of Scripture, there will not be one good thing that you don't experience. You will not lack anything that is good. You will taste all the goodness if you seek the Lord. Now, if you were reading that and that hit you, wow. Wow, if I, now maybe, maybe I, the problem isn't getting back to normal or back to church or back to something that I want to do or experience in the world. Maybe the thing I really need is to remember that it's better to spend one day with God than live a thousand days doing whatever I want in this life. If I just seek the Lord, I will not lack one good thing maybe it hits you so much you taste it you know what you should do when you taste the good you should hashtag it and share it with everybody you should put it out there on facebook instagram get on the email get in the text thread think of somebody wow who's somebody that might be doubting if they really will have everything good they might be feeling like they're missing out on something in life who could i encourage with this word right here if they could just taste this that by seeking god they will have everything possible good they will not lack any good thing i want to send them a message of text and let them know hey you should taste this it's good so I'm not just asking you to read the Psalms yourself. I'm saying we need to do this together. 
So we're going to use the hashtag this week. Maybe you've already seen it if you woke up today. Because some people, they were here late night live last night. And they already heard it. And they already woke up and started reading the Psalms. And they were sending in messages to me before I was even awake. They were tasting the good, right? And so share it with one another. Encourage one another. Because one thing we all have in common here at Compass HB is we have tasted. And God is good. And we need to remind ourselves. I can remember times reading through the Psalms where my soul was just so filled up, so encouraged by the presence of God in my life. I'm looking forward to experiencing that with all of you this week. I'm all in. I'm going through 150 Psalms. I'm going to do it in one week. I'm going to do it by next Saturday night. Who's with me? Who's in for 100? Then you don't have to commit. You don't have to commit to 150. You can make your own goal. The key is not about the quantity. It's about the quality. Get in there. Find something that tastes good. Find something that reminds you of who God is, and you experience it. It draws you close to him, and share the good taste. Let me pray for us right now. Let me pray for our church in this time. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are a good God and that you give good gifts to your children, and that one of the blessings that you have given us when you made us born again is you have given us one another, that we could love our brothers and sisters. God, I pray for this church that we will have passion for loving one another. I pray specifically that when somebody in our church does something where we might want to speak evil, or we might want to lie, or we might want to be fake or withdraw or pull back, God, I pray that we would put that all away. And that we would really love one another here. That people, no matter who they are or where they come from or how much we know them, if they feel like a stranger to us, that we would love them as we love ourselves. That we would love them as one of your people, as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for our church through this coronavirus crisis that the strong will be concerned for those who are concerned. That people will even be willing to love one another by taking a step back rather than step forward so that all of us, the strong and the weak, might welcome one another in the worship of our God. And God, we ask you right now for a revival that will come from the Bible as we read the Psalms this week. Lord, will you remind us of who you are? Will you open our eyes to see your glory? Will you speak to us once again of the greatness of your goodness that we are going to see in the land of the living? In a world so full of evil, will we be able to say as your people that our God is good and everybody can taste it. Everybody can come and see. Everybody can drink until you're full. There's so much goodness for everyone to go around. In fact, it is better to spend one day with our God than to have a thousand days of no shelter at home order. A thousand days of going wherever we want, seeing whoever we want. Just one day with you is better than a thousand elsewhere. God, let us seek you so that we might lack no good thing. God, let us, oh, let us taste and see that you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.